as an eldership, have been praying over the last two years about the direction of the church. And you asked um, a while ago for me to be an elder here, and so I'm elding. <laughs> okay? I'll be elding this morning. Okay? Uh, our, our, our mission and our vision for this church that we are receiving from the Lord is that we need to take another step. We've come this far, and we need to go further. And that, that journey is a journey of discipleship. And that's why we've been hitting this subject real hard for the last, what, six weeks now. Is because it is vital to the future of our, our fellowship that, uh, that we bring the kingdom to the forefront of what we're doing. That we, we change our mindset from a me-set to a kingdom mindset. Right? It's not all about us. Right? We, you, you can get very comfortable in having your, even your place where you sit in church. Right? And... If someone happens to sit in your seat, oh my, right? But if we are to fulfill the, the, the work of God, we need to, as the scripture says, widen our hearts. God's heart is wide open, isn't it? For everyone. He's willing that none should perish. The early church did these things in Acts 2.42. The apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. They had everything in common, and they fulfilled needs within their community. That's what they did. That's the New Testament church. That's the thing we need to hold ourselves up against. And where, where do we come in? Are we, are we, are we meeting that? Are we, are we fulfilling God's will for Sarepta? Right? Are we becoming that part of the body, the global body of Christ? Are we sacrificing ourselves for the kingdom? Right? That's the questions that we have to ask ourselves. When I, when I, I was a missionary before this in, in Helene, um, Honduras, which is a country most of you probably have to look up, and where I was at, it's a little tiny speck on the map. And I went to a culture that wasn't my culture. Right? They spoke um, what they call we speak. Right? So um, they'd come and they'd say things like, Joe, I got one bad behind, you know? Gotta kill it now. And you say, What? What did Jesus say? He's saying, I'm really hungry and I need something to eat. I gotta go get some food. Okay? So I took me, as you can imagine, a while to master the language there because it was not my culture, it wasn't my language. It's a boat culture because they live on an island. I was on an island in the Caribbean and they use boats to get around. I, I was, the Lord had prepared my life for that because I was boating when I was 10 years old. I mean, we, my father and I were building boats. I had my own boat. I had two boats by the time I was like 12. So 
I knew boats, so I could relate to their culture because that's how they got around. They had no idea that I knew anything about boats. They just thought I was like an ignorant white man that had never seen a boat in his life. Right? So they were always challenging me to do things that were crazy with boats and stuff to see. You know, they wanted to watch me fail, right? And laugh, you know? So they put me in this boat that was like this big with a 20-horse motor on it, right? They had already flipped it like six times because it's too much motor for that little boat. So they wanted to see Joe flip himself in the boat, right? So I got out there, and I got the boat up and going. I don't know how. It was the grace of God. And I'm tearing along, and I have a picture of it. The only thing that's touching is the, is the drive. The keel's not even in the water, right? But that was the only way you could get it going. So what, how do we relate to the culture that God has brought around us into, right? When you fulfill the Great Commission, you're never going to be comfortable. Never. Right? Never. So it's not about our comfort. It's about the kingdom. And Jesus said, Come to me and I will make you fishers of men. A disciple is trained by Christ to be a disciple of others. Right? And if we stop at just being a disciple, we've missed the boat. Right? Um, When you begin to go into another culture, another thing, there will always be challenges. And I worked on our boats. They were kind of our, our, our uh, we were the 911, right? I was, if you were dying, they called us. And we put you in a boat and we tried to get you to medical care and, and worked on you while we're on our way. Um, so we had boats. I was in charge of keeping our boat working, right? And it, previous to me, it had just been a disaster. We were always stranded at sea and things like that. So I I got a new motor, and I said, look, we're going to do this by the book, right? So these guys would would regularly destroy lower units. That's the bottom part that goes in the water with the propeller. Because they changed the oil, they would flip the motor up only partially, and they would pour the oil in, and then when they put it down, now it's half full, right? Okay, so you can't... (laughs) They're always running them on half full, and then they'd tear them up. They'd be like, they'd replace them every six weeks or something, you know. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pulling my motor off, and I'm jacking it up, and these guys are all standing mocking me, right? Oh, Joe, you're doing it wrong, bro. Yeah, man, you don't need to do all that. It's just, just tilt it up. I said, no. I said, how many, out, how many lower units have you replaced? Well, six so far, <laughs> Right? So there, there is a way that is the way that is, it's done, and then there's the right way, right? And they were so stuck on the way that it was done that they had no place for the right way. Uh, they, 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 they got it partially there, but they didn't get the whole thing. And we don't want to be in danger of doing that. Um, when, when you try to make any kind of change, there will always be those that stand and mock, right? They're going to stand and mock. 
But we need to go to the owner's manual. What does the owner's manual say? Do it that way, and you'll find it works really well. Uh, Jockey brought up a point that he's not about um, church building anymore. He's about discipleship. And that's a very, very important point. Because discipleship, it's not just about building the church, it's about building the kingdom. So if I lead someone to Christ and I disciple them into the Lord and they go to another church, hallelujah. It's His church. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's His church. And His church isn't just within these walls. It's global. So we have to we have to go to the owner's manual. Jesus said, we are to go out and make disciples, and we are to do what? Just make disciples? No, teaching them to do all the things that I have commanded you to do. We're to teach them. You don't just birth these babies and just leave them there, right? Just without their diapers changed, without any milk or anything, Right? We are to teach, we are to teach them. You, I, are to teach them what? To do the commands. And a while ago, I preached on the commands of Jesus. And it took me two sermons to get through the 33 commands that I could find, and there may be more that I missed, right? We need to familiarize ourselves with those commands, don't we? If we are to fulfill this, the owner's manual, right? then we need to be putting into people what Jesus put into them. He is the master discipler, right? He, he did it in front of us so that we could see it. He did it with all the warts and everything, right? These guys, you know, the faithful, flawed few, right? I mean, what did they, you know, Peter denied he even knew Jesus, you know? I would have given up on him at that point. Jesus kept going, didn't he? He said, Satan wants to rip you to shreds. He wants to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. That when you come to yourself, you'll be able to encourage your brothers. Jesus didn't give up on the, the flawed people that we are. <laughs> he didn't give up on me. Hallelujah. He's not going to give up on you. And God is bringing to us people. And that's good. It, it may require a lot, of, a lot of us. Evangelism is the front end of disciple-making. We've been talking the last few weeks about evangelizing people, right? That's the front end of it. And spiritual growth is the back end of it. But disciple-making both and uh, evangelism are both inextricably and eternally linked. Right? You can't separate one from the other. So we, we want, I want to take it just another step today to go beyond just evangelism into discipling people to the point where they can disciple someone else. Right? If you have not had that done in your life, then... Seek out someone who can help you do that. Right? There's a lot of um, gray heads here. 
And we, in this fellowship, we have an opportunity to pass the mantle forward. God is bringing people to us. They may not look like us. They may not speak the same language as, as we do. Right? Learn how to say hello to them. Right? Howdy, y'all. Right? It it means a lot to people to, like I learned how to speak the Islanders' slang. You know, their language is basically almost all slang. Uh, Doc didn't mean doc. You'd think it was boating, right? It didn't mean it was a boat dock. It means with a haircut, right? So I'm going to get one dock. I'm going to get a haircut. He's not going to get a, if you want to get a dock, you're getting a waff. A waff, otherwise known as a wharf, right? So learn, learn the culture that God has immersed you already into. Um, begin to cross cultural barriers. We can be followers of Jesus or we can be disciples of Jesus. The followers were the crowd, and when the food ran out, uh, they were the rice Christians. Right? The rice Christian was someone that, when the rice runs out, we're no longer a Christian. Right? We don't want to be followers, we want to be disciples. The word disciple has that, that, that sound of discipline in it, doesn't it? Right? So we, are, we need to be purposeful and disciplined about our approach to knowing Jesus. So, in Mark 8.34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The cross, Jesus hadn't hung on a cross yet, had he? At that point. But he said, take up my, your, my cross and follow, take up your cross and follow me. Your cross, death to yourself. It was a known instrument of death. You were, you were, you were dying to self every day. That's what it will require to be a disciple. To die to your self-will every day. Take up your cross. He, he came to transform lives for eternity and empowering and equipping them. Equipping them, didn't he? He sent them out. He, he told others, some to, he told them to fish for men, but he also said, feed my sheep. Right? Evangelism, discipleship. Evangelism, discipleship. So that there was a continual growth that happens. In, first, in Thessalonians 2.8, So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Right? And, and that sharing of life is that discipleship that goes beyond... Um, uh, hi uh, at church. Hi. See you next week. Bye. It's a sharing of life, isn't it? And, and 
it's similar to mentoring. And all of us need to be in a place where we are constantly being mentored and constantly mentoring. Otherwise, we're a stagnant pool of water that will begin to smell eventually. Right? We want God's life to flow through us to others. It's not enough just to receive from God. We have to be vessels who flow. Life flows through. We, the downpipe was used. That's, that's a good example. Right? We need to be downpipes. Paul was, had an interesting journey. Knocked off his horse by the power of God. Because he was persecuting the church. And and shown that he would have to suffer many things for the gospel. Um, but he became a discipler of others. He was first himself discipled, and he began to disciple others. And we read um, his writings and his discipleship of others in Timothy, Philemon, Titus, Right? Um, what is your fear? What is your number one fear? Let's be a little transparent about sharing your faith with others, evangelism, or sharing what your life with someone else. What What is your fear about that? Nobody has any fears. Good. You listened to my last sermon, which was on fear nothing, right? Rejection. Yeah. That's That's our fear, isn't it? Well, let me tell you a little bit about myself. When I, um, first person that approached me, his name was, was uh, as I recall, was Danny Burgoyne. Yeah, Danny Burgoyne was a prison minister in Tucson, Arizona. He was a street preacher. Little guy with a big bag full of tracks and everything. And I just did not have time for this guy. He came up to me and started sharing the gospel with me, and I cursed him. That's what I did. Okay, was that rejection? Absolutely. Okay, here I am today. Okay? Danny Burgoyne sowed seed in my life. And very interestingly, though I didn't know him from Adam, he prayed for me to receive the Holy Spirit several years later. (laughs) Cool, huh? Uh, He sowed. uh, Keith Green reaped, right, the, the wheat. Keith Green was the person that led me to Christ. So, you, so even though you may not be the one that leads the person to Christ, you can sow seeds. Don't be afraid of rejection because I'm a perfect example of where don't let that discourage you because God used him anyways. Right? Okay, so the person may not be ready at that moment, but sowing seed is always of value. We, we do what our part and God brings the increase. Amen? We leave the results to God. Uh, I can't save anyone, but I can share what I know, right? And quite often we are, because of our fear of rejection, we don't share what we know. So, um, Paul writes to Timothy, and he reminds him to keep the reproduction going. 
He says in 2 Timothy 2.2, All the things that you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Here he is discipling uh, a second generation disciple to bring in a third generation disciple, right? Teaching others. It was me, him, others, right? It's always... That's what it is. It's always passing it forward. It's always passing the mantle on. He taught, he taught Timothy on a huge variety, if you read Timothy, of life uh, instances and church problems and how to treat women and how to treat men in church and how, you know who speaks when and what and what, right? Life. He shared everything with him. And what, what is your restriction that you feel in your life? I don't have enough time, right, maybe. Uh, I'm not qualified. Well, I mean, Paul was persecuting the church, <laughs> you know. What was his qualification, right? Um, he was in prison, right? And yet he was still discipling people, wasn't he? He didn't let that stop him. He was behind prison bars, and he's, his words reach us today, right? By the power of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't have the limitations that we put on ourselves. So go beyond your own comfort zone. Go beyond um, any restriction you can put in your mind and think, Paul could disciple people from behind bars, right? I can do it because I'm walking around free. Do we have enough um, commitment, right? He wanted uh, to help him deal with some of the issues that were cultural problems at that time, like the circumcision, right? The Jews had, um, those Jews who were of the circumcision party were saying, well, anyone that gets saved now has to be circumcised because that's what the Jewish tradition was. Right, there's all these traditions and things you'll run up against. What are your traditions here that you run up against? Ancestral worship, right? Develop a plan to deal with that scripturally. That's what they did. He was teaching him, and we need to teach. We, we're, God is blessing us with new people. Remember, they're, they're his treasure. They're what he values most of anything. And... We, God help us to be worthy of that. Right? God help us to, to mentor these people into, that he brings to us into a place where they can disciple others. That's the goal. To fulfill the Great Commission, we have to think beyond Sarepta Church. Right? We have to think beyond our comfort zone. And I want to show you just one of the ways that I'm doing that in my life. I want to model that here as well. Uh, in Philemon 10, uh, 1, 10 through 11, it talks about Onesimus, right? Onesimus was, it means useful. And where's Timby? Speaking of useful. Let's give her a, a thanks for coming and being willing to share. I'm putting her on the spot here. And she's, I know she's nervous, but that's okay. 
Hallelujah. We're, we're family here. Everybody loves you. Yes. So I've asked her what, what we do, what I've used as a tool. Um, it's just a tool. Is the four spiritual laws to, to bring someone to Christ. It's an, it's an outline of basically covering the bases, as we would say in the States, because we use baseball a lot. Um, covering the bases, right? You can use any tool you like in the scripture that, that brings people to Jesus. This is one that I use. Now, if I am to disciple, uh, Avril and I are discipling Timby. She already knows Jesus, but we're, we're wanna, we want her to be a discipler of people, right? Not just a disciple of Christ. We don't disciple people to ourselves. We disciple them to Jesus. Okay? So I, I've asked her to come, and one of the assignments that I'm giving her is to know these four spiritual laws and be able to say in her own words how God brought that law into reality in her life. So that's what she's going to do. Good morning, church. Uh, Okay, I'm going to share the first spiritual law that is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Okay, um, that some people that is like, okay, God loves you, okay, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Be like, what? But then, as I see what God has done for me, I, I can express that, like, freely and happily and be proud to say that he loves me, like, so deeply. As the song um, Mandy was singing, Reckless Love, and we talked about it yesterday, I remember, um, there's this part that says, there's no shadow he won't, he won't, oh, okay. There's no shadow he won't light up coming after me. Okay, that is amazing as it own. Like, wow. There is no mountain he won't climb up coming after me. That is love, pure love. Um, we can go out there and sin, come back to him, repent. He'll forgive us, welcome us with open arms. That is God. That is God's love. It doesn't end there. We find that um, in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay. Who can do that for me? Who can do that for you? Who can give his only son to show me that he loves me? Okay. Nobody. But God did. He did. He did that for me. He did that for you. That is love, pure love. And it doesn't just love us. He has a wonderful plan for our lives. We find that's John 10.10. 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The the thief that they say here is the evil spirit that is Satan, obvious. He comes to steal, to kill and destroy. He doesn't just steal, he kills also. He destroys as well. That means there will be nothing left of you. But God came 
to restore, yes, to restore all that so that we may have life and have it abundantly. That is eternal life. That is forever. So what I can say to you, church, this morning is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Whatever you're going through, whatever circumstances you're in, just know that he loves you. And he will never leave you or forsake you. He just loves you so dearly and so deeply and has a wonderful plan for your life. Thank you. Thank you. So you can, she can take someone to where she's been, right? And that's all we have to do is take someone to where we've been. Um, Jockey did a great job of basically covering all these bases. He taught us last week uh, the plan of salvation in a nice graph. Um, Number two is man is sinful and separated from God, and therefore he cannot know and experience God's love and plan for his life. Number three is Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him you can know and experience God's love and plan for your life. Number four is we must individually receive Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord, and then we can know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. Okay, it's a simple, simple gospel message and scriptures that support it, that are uh, revealing it, rather. And um, if we learn these kind of things, uh, that whatever tool you use is just that, it's a tool. You know, Avril, the first person she led to Christ, she, she led using the four spiritual laws, you know. And it was, it was amazing, wasn't it? It's, very, it's amazingly rewarding to bring someone to the knowledge of Christ. And it's also amazing to, to see them progress in their discipleship with Jesus, to grow in spiritually and see the change, the transformation. It's more miraculous to me than seeing someone's leg grow or you know, be healed uh, physically. It's that transformation of a person only God can do, and it's a miracle. It's miraculous. Um, and he calls us to further still, doesn't he? He wants us to, as we begin, bring people to Christ, that we teach them to bring others. That discipleship can't stop there. It has to keep going. And part of our growth is that we get to the point where we are disciplers of others and and discipling them to the point where they become disciplers of others. Uh, This quote I like, it says, the place God calls you to is a place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's Frederick Buchner. Where our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. A lot of ministry that I do is, is need-based, right? There's a need. I go and that's what Jesus did, didn't he? People were hungry. He fed them. They were sick. He healed them. Um, and where you'll find that, that deep gladness in your soul when you begin to meet needs in the name of Jesus, right? Even giving a cup of water it's, it will not lose its reward, when it's done in the name of Jesus. 
And whenever we reach out to others, we're fulfilling the law of of Christ, uh, his love. Um, Intentionality is being deliberate or purposeful. A purpose, purposive, purposive, I don't know, uh, purposeful, let's just say. Uh, yeah, it's like that whole chicken thing with <laughs> that Alan got tongue-tied into. The rooster spoke, you know, the, the chicken. Uh, um, anyways, intentionality is being deliberate or purposive. It is having and following a plan, knowing where to take people and how to get them there. It's purposeful, right? It's, it's deliberate. We need to be disciplined about being deliberate, right, in our discipleship. That we don't have people that are become just one generation, right? Yeah, they're, they're saved, they've got their fire insurance, you know? But that's as far as it goes. Um, disciples, notice, weren't just sitting at the feet of Jesus, were they? I mean, we like that part, right? We come in sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's awesome. But he, wasn't, he didn't just do that, did he? He sent them out. In Matthew ten sixteen. he says, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Right, so he, he didn't just stop at the teaching, did he? He, he said, go now, right? I've, I've taught you some stuff. Go teach what you know. Don't just sit anymore. And they were amazed what happened, weren't they? They were all excited. Even the demons were subject to your name. Hallelujah. Right? And he said... Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Right? It, that's what's important. I mean, he's redirecting them to what's important. The name written in the Lamb's book of life is important. And the way to get there is discipleship. Spirit-led discipleship is a difference that we see in Peter before and after. Um, it, when you know before here he is he's trying to do it in his own strength I'll never deny you I'm going to do this thing I'm, you know and he failed miserably but we see a different Peter in Acts after the coming of the Holy Spirit right he stood up and he said hey you guys that crucified Christ you know he's now come to save you different guy wasn't it because he was now spirit filled spirit led discipler of people he he changed i don't know how much time i have now give me a few more minutes here cross-cultural discipleship has always been the way it's been always right because there was only uh, the jews had received the gospel but then this uh, same peter we wouldn't even have the gospel if it wasn't for the obedience of Peter found in Acts 10, 12 through 16. He, he had a vision that he was to eat these unclean things, right? And God told him, what God has um, made clean, you don't judge that. You, 
And, and so he had to rethink his, his current norm and go cross-culture, didn't he? He had to go outside of his comfort zone into another culture, and it's always been that way. Because, why? Because we're to reach the entire world. And the only way to do that is to cross cultures. Um, In Acts 11, 20, 24, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking non-Jews, some of them, and some of them were Jews who were Greek-speaking. But they um, added to our experience today by the New Testament is in Greek, isn't it? Right? And the word agape, where, where do we get that from? That's not our language, is it? It's, it's the, the Greek word agape is God's unconditional love. Right? So turn to someone and say, I agape you. I agape you, right? We, if we didn't have the gospel cross cultures, we would, we would be lost. We would be lost. So we have to think outside of our own culture, our own comfort, our own, our own, our own, and start thinking to what the way Jesus has taught us to think. Paul was um, really, uh, he says, un, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. <laughs> he didn't come to Jesus in the normal way that we think of coming to Jesus. But he, he also became, what he said, all things to all men, so that by any means he might win some. Right? So to the Jews, he became a Jew. To the Hellenists, he became a Greek. To this other one, he became that. So what, that is, he, he was uh, an amazing discipler of people who, when he planted the seed, he also taught them along with that, to disciple others, to reach beyond. Learn to greet your brothers and sisters here that speak a different language, everyone, right? Greet them in their own language. Learn some more about their culture. Take them out to coffee, mentor, to share what you know. God's not asking anything impossible of you. He's asking... Uh, you to share what you know, and then he'll add the rest, doesn't he? The Holy Spirit comes and gives you words, puts words in your mouth. Share your story, leave the results to God. I love the blind man. He'd, he'd never seen, he was blind from birth. Jesus touched and healed him, and, and what was his testimony? And they came to him and said, how do you see? These Pharisees, how do you see? All I know is I was blind, and now I see. What a simple testimony. And yet, powerful, isn't it? I was blind. He had never seen Jesus at that point. Jesus then came to him later and said, Who, yeah, um, who is this that I may worship him? He says, I'm, I'm the one that healed you. you know? That testimony uh, is powerful. Your testimony is powerful. You can reach people that I will never reach. I can reach people that you will never reach. Because God has made us different, right? We rejoice in our differences because we can reach the whole world. So share your story. Leave the results to God. 
Keep it simple. I was blind, but now I see. Fruit is the proof of our discipleship in John 15, verse 8. This, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. John 15, verse 8. Fruit. It's a challenge, isn't it? Uh, there's conditions to our discipleship in Luke 14, 25 through 33. And you, unless you renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Wow. That's heavy, huh? You renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Elijah and Elisha. Um, there's a passing of the yoke, isn't there? Elisha was seeking after the anointing and the presence of God, and he sought the man, Elijah. And Elijah was going to pass the mantle on, wasn't he? And so he came and he threw the mantle over his shoulders and he just went on. And... He said, "Well, let me bury, or let me um, let me kiss my parents." And that that kiss the parents was significant. It was, "I'm I'm abandoning my family to follow the plan of God." In other words, he's placing it above everything else. And he killed his twelve yoke of oxen. In other words, he sacrificed his the way he made his living. And, his, and it represented great wealth. That many oxen was worth a lot of money. And he said, I'm, I'm giving it all up. I'm following the Lord's will for my life. So we need to count the cost of discipleship. Remember that in Revelations, that we conquer the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony, right? Our testimony is powerful when, in, when God brings his anointing and presence on it, when we're sharing with people. We need to go beyond just evangelism into discipling people into Christ. In John seventeen eighteen through 20, and those who will believe in me through their word, right? He, Jesus was talking about those who will believe in me through their word, the second generation, third generation, fourth generation Christians. So Jesus talked about this multiplication. God is a God of multiplication. Uh, if, if we were to add a thousand people to, um, to let's say, 10,000 churches... Right? Sounds really amazing, doesn't it? A thousand people to ten thousand churches. Or each uh, one person would bring one person to Christ each year. Who would win? Who would who would gain the most people? Can't hear you. 
The second one. Yes, because within 33 years, you will have 8.5 billion Christians. That's more than the existing population of the world. Okay, by one person leading one person to Christ, just one. In the end of 33 years, you have 8.5 billion people. See, whereas you say, we've got 10,000 churches, I'm going to add 1,000 people a year, they're going to lose. Right? So you see where discipleship <laughs> isn't about church growth, and yet it is. Right? Uh, it, it, we're, not, we're not about trying to grow the church, we're trying about grow the kingdom and save the world. That's the plan. So, I want to ask you to make a commitment, if, if you will. Count the cost. It will cost you something. It will cost you money and time. I know I'm over time here. But I'd like you to, to consider making a commitment to bring one person to Christ over this next year and mentoring or discipling another. It doesn't have to be the same person, Right? I mean, one person planted in my life, another one sowed, another one reaped. So you can be that to someone. Take one, bring one person to Christ. Mentor one person and help disciple another person who maybe is already saved. It could be the same person or it could be three different people. But continue past the mantle. That's where we see, this is what God is saying to us as your leadership. So that's why this is so important. So if you are willing to make that commitment, I ask you to stand up and come up and we'll pray together. Okay? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. It, it challenges us beyond our comfort, Lord. It, it challenges us, Lord, to go outside of our culture where we we are uh, feel okay, where we feel comfortable, God. But we know that there's a greater purpose, Lord. There, we, we need to die to ourselves. We need to take up our cross every day, Lord, and live your kingdom. Not our values, but your values, God. So we make this commitment, Lord, to disciple someone to the point of discipleship. Father, that we also make a commitment to lead someone to Jesus, Lord. And to help someone grow spiritually, Father, in our midst, Lord, that you would do this thing. It's not by our strength. We can't be like Peter and say, I'm going to do this by my own strength, Lord. We have to have your Holy Spirit to accomplish your work. But we know you can do it through us. And we give you glory. And we give you thanks, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.